So we had just gotten back from um, Thailand. We were there to celebrate our 25th anniversary in, in January, but it was actually almost our 26th wedding anniversary. And on the way back, we became aware, well, while we were there, of this thing called COVID. Now, we were having a great time in Thailand, and it was not really, um, didn't really bother us too much. We flew through Tokyo, and we were quite thrilled with, with life. And then we got back to the States. I flew actually here to this um, hotel because I was lecturing at a CME course. And my chairman was on the phone. He called me back to Boston. And when I got back to Boston, I work at a large teaching hospital in Boston. And the hallways were empty. And I recognized that something very serious was going on. Now we heard about New York, et cetera, et cetera. But something very serious was going on. And Sabbath morning, about two weeks later, I was out running, and prior to that time, I had read this article that my twin sister and Mark Finley had put together on COVID, and they did the medical part of it, and then there was the, the pastoral or theological part of dealing with COVID. And I was out running on my six-mile run one Sabbath morning. Yes, I have to wake up, so I run Sabbath morning just to get me ready for the for the, for the day, and I was running through my neighborhood and an overwhelming feeling came over me that my neighbors did not know Jesus Christ. And it was an overwhelming feeling of foreboding that people were going to die from COVID without knowing Jesus. And I thought, what have I done for my neighbors? And so I was very, very concerned and I decided I was going to do something about it. I decided I was going to take some points from this particular signs of the time and make it into a handout to give to our neighbors. My care for people had not, that was not the first time. In 2008, um, I was at an ASI convention, and Mark Finley preached on Pentecost Revisited. And in that talk, he mentioned an Ellen White quote about, about children of, of God going from place to place in the time of the end. Did they see you? Did they see me? And I remember thinking, no, they did not. And at, I won't tell you the whole story. It was a, quite a dramatic story that happened to me at that particular meeting. But my love for people changed at that meeting. And so I decided that we were going to care for our neighbors and we were going to go door to door, this was in 2008, and get Bible studies all up and down our street. I'm showing you this picture of my husband and me for a reason. I was enthusiastic about going door to door. My husband was not, not because he doesn't care for people, but he tends to be more reserved and kind of guards people's space, um, spaces. So it was September of 2008, and we were having dinner, and I was so excited because we were going to pass out cards to the neighbors. And we, I made these wonderful formal invitations to, uh, to come. And I, I couldn't believe we were eating dinner, and the day had arrived. And I looked beside me at my precious husband, and it looked as though he had a terrible case of indigestion. And I thought, what in the world? And then I looked at him further, 
and it looked as though he was praying, oh Lord Jesus, I know it's September, but please send a snowstorm of epic proportions <laughs> that we won't have to go out door knocking or send a big hailstorm with, with hail the size of golf balls never heard of before that will make the streets impassable or a big flood. And it was obvious he did not want to go. But as a dutiful husband, a devoted husband, he went with me and that began our ministry to our neighbors. And so this is the quote that, that Pastor Finley quoted, servants of God with their faces lighted up and shining with holy consecration will hasten from place to place to, pro to proclaim the message from heaven. And that was the point where I said that the Lord did not see me going from place to place. And I was rebuked and deeply smitten because of my recognition of my failure. So this continued. We got Bible studies out of that first entrance into our neighborhood. But with this second um, foray into the neighborhood, I made a handout. It was a three-page handout. And what I did is I synthesized some of the material that was in there. And it included these things. Get plenty of rest, eat a good plant-based diet, drink lots of water, get adequate fresh air, exercise, and hot and cold baths. And believe it or not, the neighbors responded. People sent us um, nice cards saying, how nice of you to care about us in this horrible pandemic. So we got cards in the, in the mailbox. We had people calling. And a man said to me, you know, I've been doing those hot and cold baths. I've never felt better. People were thrilled that Bob and I would care for them. And so we did that. And at the end of it, I included recipes, and I don't know what came over me. But at the end of it, I said, and when this thing is over, we will have a cooking school in our home. I have never done a cooking school in my whole life. Well, I, I take that back. My sister and I did a, a little cooking school um, one time, and it was quite hilarious. But we did it, but I'd never done this before. But I, I, I must have been the Holy Spirit or some other spirit, but I put that into the, the handout. I gave them recipes. And I thought that this was in March when I did this. I thought, oh, this will be in June and July. I was so naive. It's amazing how physicians can be naive. I thought this pandemic was just going to pass us over, and in June or July, we'll be fine. We'll have people to our home, no problem. That was not to be. It wasn't until about August, that I, about July or so, I recognized we're in for the long haul. One of my friends happened to call me, who also got involved with us, and he said, how are you doing? I said, terrible. I said, I don't know how to have a plant-based cooking school in the pandemic, and people can't come to our house. He goes, oh, no problem. We can do it by Zoom. I thought a cooking school would Zoom. They can't smell the smells and see the food, et cetera, et cetera. And so I decided that we were going to have a hybrid um, sort of a thing. And this is my um, theory. Even though I'm a physician, I do believe in food and natural remedies being the first line of therapy. My husband will tell you, I don't even like taking an aspirin. If I feel I can go for a run or drink a glass of water and get well, I'm in. Moses Maimonides wrote this. No disease that can be treated by diet should be treated with any other means. Moses Maimonides was a Jewish physician and philosopher living from 1135 to 1204. 
and he was persecuted, he was in exile, and he decided that simple remedies should be tried well before drugs should be tried, and that was my thinking. And so we decided to send out invitations to the neighborhood. Now, I never do things part way, so I made these very fanciful invitations. Now, my husband and I go by Bob and Andy, but when we sent this invitation out first, no one responded. I thought, oh, my word. And someone said, we need to put doctor on the front. I thought, really? So we put doctors Bob and Andy Hunsaker. Sure enough, people responded. We said, it's the truth, the gospel truth. And you know, we said the first six people to register will be admitted. Well, we had 10. And the state of Massachusetts had a limit. We said, well, if you walk, no one will count the cars. So the people walked to our house, and we had a wonderful time. And I walked from place to place with my face lighted up, going from house to house. Even more fanciful, I put them in little tubes, put pretty ribbon on it. My husband didn't go with me this time. I didn't think he was into the yellow. And I went from place to place and passed these out for our neighbors. And they were excited to come. And what we did is we said, we're going to make this scientific. Now, I will tell you this. I had an ulterior motive. Remember, I said I had a burden for these people's souls. So my ulterior motive was, we'll feed them some delicious, beautiful food. I love to cook. But my goal was to get Bible studies. That was my only goal. You will see this explanation in a moment. And so we had lectures. We had lectures on epigenetics. My husband left a lecture on epigenetics. My twin sister met, uh, lectured on food as medicine. And her husband, a cardiologist, lectured on cardiovascular health. So I went and passed these out in the neighborhood. And here we are, ready to begin. Our friend and his wife came to help us from Minnesota. And so this is the crew. This is the cooking crew. And we had, none of us had ever done this. We're preparing flowers from my yard to make it look very pretty. And here we are. These are some of the neighbors that came to our home. This is the beginning. And this is the, the IT crew. Um, my brother-in-law and Denzel, our friend, they were the IT crew. We had big cameras and whatnot because we were doing Zoom and in person. We had no idea. To tell you how badly we didn't know what we were doing. Poor Denzel and Brian forgot to start the cameras. <laughs> it was very interesting, but God blesses our best efforts. And I want to show you something else. Don't let um, things discourage you because they're not perfect. And this was our menu. We decided to do beans, and we put these out in each of the chairs. We rented stools for the people to sit on, etc., etc. Cooking with beans, we had wonderful food. And if you notice, my twin sister is lecturing with a blender <laughs> in front of her. Well, it never occurred to us to clean up the surroundings. Then I went to Teeny Finley's place and saw how it's really done. And I thought, oh, my word. But the food was delicious. People loved it. We gave prizes. We gave some, some, some um, quizzes to the people. And they responded. And for each correct answer, they got either a book or a magazine or some chickpea flour. And we told them, go make something from this chickpea flour. Now, here we are sitting with masks. So you can see it's during COVID times. And all these people were wrapped attention, paying attention to what we had to, to offer them. And here we are. We had to serve the people because 
um, it was COVID and we couldn't have them and come up and, and get any food. But they were very, very interested in what we were doing, paying rapt attention. Of course, my sister is an incredible speaker, very interesting. And here we are with just disarray everywhere. I want to encourage you, if it's not perfect, do it anyway. The Holy Spirit will bless. And so people have said, how do you do it? I said, well, don't follow me. Let the Lord lead you in whatever way. But I did learn something from Teeny once I went to her home and saw how a pro does it. And here we are. The food is beautiful. And it does look sort of chaotic. Uh, but these are some of the presents that we gave out as well. And um, it was a, just a really blessed time. And here the plate on the food. You can see how beautiful it looked. We made lots of colorful food so people could see that plant-based cooking is delicious looking and tasting as well. Here they are eating and enjoying it. And then by the time that we got to the holiday cooking, we had already been to Teeny's place and seen how it was really done. And so the pictures looked much better. And so here's the menu that we did, a wonderful menu. And look at this, the orderliness of it. And we have some wonderful tofu kebabs and, and some um, pistachio and, and, and edamame burgers, some wonderful things. It was called the holiday party. So people know how you entertain at Christmas time without alcohol and plant-based. And we made all sorts of delicious things, some samosas, etc., all from scratch. Here is the spread. The front item you might recognize, that was not from scratch. That's the wonderful roast that we have at Seventh-day Adventist. And you know, people got the picture of that box, and they were going to have that for their Christmas dinner as well. All we did is we put some homemade cranberry sauce that It was delicious. And here we have some more pictures of some of the wonderful things we had. And this is the spread here for you. But one of my, my favorite was the dessert. This dessert was made out of silken tofu. It was a wonderful mousse. You would never believe the taste. People thought it was really some wonderful, I don't know what people put in it, dairy something or another. I never made a mousse in my life, but this was perfection. Delicious. Here it is up close. We had a wonderful photographer taking pictures for us. And here we're getting ready to do one for the children. We invited some of the, the, the neighbors to bring their children again. If you walk, no one can see the cars in the driveway. By this time, we had a YouTube channel, um, creativeplantbasedcuisine.com, uh, and so that's Denzel, our camera crew. We're doing a pre-event um, pre interview there on YouTube, etc. And I never thought big, but my brother-in-law, the interventionist cardiologist, thinks big. And so we did this wonderful, there's a beetroot burger that we had, and then we had this wonderful macaroni and cheese. And we gave the children a quiz. We said, what do you think this is? They go, huh, American cheese? No, plant-based. There's potato, carrot, and cashew. It tasted incredible, absolutely delicious. And then we had some tacos, etc. walnut meat. It tasted interesting. <laughs> And here is my thought on life. Eat food, but not too much, and mostly plants. And this is where I'm going to, to switch from what we did to why we do what we do. I'm going to look at science first, 
And then I'm going to look at the greatest scientist of all, Ellen White, because we as Seventh-day Adventists have a health message, not because we want to live to be 150 or to have people live for seven more years, but we have a mission and a message. And that's what I want to focus on, why we do what we do, why we eat mostly plants. And so I'm going to tell you nothing that you do not know. I'm a radiologist, so I actually don't know much about it. Of course, I was a board-certified internist before I became a board-certified radiologist. Um, it is estimated that more than 70% of, uh, of healthcare dollars are spent addressing result of unhealthy lifestyles and then are spelled increasing the rates of obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. I want to tell you something. The reason I became a radiologist, I had some interesting experiences when I was in internal medicine. Happened the same day, actually. I used to, I'm a, I'm a runner. I've been running for over 35 years. I've been running, I love running. When I run, I'm just happy as a clam. And we were raised on a plant-based diet, rice and beans, in the West Indies. And so I went to internal medicine, and I, I wanted my patients to be healthy, and I tried to get them to, to eat better. Well, they'd rather have me give them a pill. Well, I thought, you know, I'm done with that, so I did radiology. <laughs> True story. So it's, it's lifestyle things. We get paid as physicians, just think about it, because people choose to ruin their bodies. Now, that should bother you tremendously. It bothers me. We spend more than $3 trillion each year on healthcare, more than any other country. Our clinical outcomes and life expectancy are not the best in the world. And according to the CDC, more than 70% of, of people in the US are now overweight or obese. And this is an interesting study. I took this graph from. Um, from an article, the first article I'm going to be showing you. And I have here a trend in interest in diets as time has gone on, beginning in 2004 to 2019. The red is vegan, yellow is meat, and I hope you're not colorblind, and then the blue on the bottom is vegetarian. And Germany, UK, and the US, look at that interesting trend. In Germany, the trend for a vegan diet is steeply increasing above meat compared to the US, and that trend did not increase until 2014. Meat is still a higher interest food than a vegan diet in the US. That's why we have so many problems. I look at the UK, very interested in the plant-based diet. The world is ripe for our message and what we have to share with them. And so I'm going to look at three studies very quickly because you all know the information. But I want to look at, at some of the things that why do we have the health message? I really appreciate Dr. Toure's presentation this morning. I thought you were going to take some of my, of my thunder, particularly when you began to foray into Dr. Jackson's material. We'll be going there a little bit later. This is a meta-analysis. They used 32 studies out of 205 studies that they looked at. And they chose studies in which there were no confounders like exercise. They weren't only studies that included diet alone. They excluded any study that did not include vegan or vegetarian plant-based diet. They were looking, and this was in the journal Translational Psychiatry, looking to see if there were any good effects from a, a plant-based diet on the mind and the body. 
And they obviously found some things that we already know. And this was a study that combined five uh, different types, four different types of plant-based diets and compared to an omnivore diet. And it says there that the results cohesively suggest that although caloric intake was similar across groups, my husband asked this question all the time, if you eat the same amount of this and the same amount of this, will you gain weight? Well, this study says these results cohesively suggest that although calorie intake was similar across groups, participants who had followed a vegan diet showed higher weight loss and improved metabolic status, even though they ate the same volume of calories. Very interesting. they were unable to identify whether or not it truly affected your mental state. But there are preliminary results that show that it does improve brain functioning and your mood and your ability to handle stress and to prevent uh, depression. The next study is well known, the Bonner Report, comparing a um, vegan diet with the American Di uh, Diabetes Association diet. And they found that the results of a vegan diet were much uh, better for lowering the hemoglobin A1C levels and for um, having people decrease their, their medication. Recent reports, though, this is the third and last thing I'm going to look at because it deals with COVID. And it really has to, it really kind of supports what the, the article in Signs of the Times that my sister and Mark Finley did together. Plant-based diet and COVID. Have you folks seen that study? You've, you've heard the, the, the news, of course, on that study, but we'll look at it a little bit more in depth right now. The elephant in the living room was addressed. In the Boston Globe uh, last year, they were saying that the number one cause, what well, number one factor contributing to COVID ex uh, exposure was obesity. We in this country have become so politically correct that it's now considered a disease. Well, it is a disease. And there's a strong correlation between non-hygiene-related risk factors in viral susceptibility, and specifically nutritional factors play a key role in your innate and adaptive immunity. That means there is something you can do to help your immunity along. So it's not just hocus pocus when we tell people to have a plant-based diet and do all sorts of things of this sort. Yes, obesity, type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, hypertension are identified as comorbidities in COVID-19. This is a British study, I just took this out of the, by the way, this was published in the British Medical Journal, um, Nutrition, Prevention and Health. And it says that the etiology of these conditions is largely driven by poor nutrition and unfavorable lifestyle choices, poor choices, which have a high prevalence in economically advantaged countries. Can you believe that? Like the US and Europe. Yet specific nutritional strategies to support optimal immune function have not been clearly described. Well, is that true? No, it's not. We as a church were given those things. And so here we have, the study was, was a bunch of healthcare workers, physicians, nurses, etc., in Germany, France, Italy, Spain, the UK, and the US. It was conducted between July and September of 2020 in physicians and, and healthcare workers who had high exposures 
or specialties that, that gave you high exposure to COVID-19. And they looked at the diets of these people to see what they ate and did they get mild to moderate disease, either mild, very mild to mild disease or moderate to severe disease. And it was interesting. I'm looking at my watch very carefully. Um, they found that 138 of the 568 people had moderate to severe disease. And I'm going to summarize quickly because the best is yet to come. The healthcare workers with moderate to severe COVID-19 severity were less likely to report that they followed a plant-based diet as opposed to those who had very mild or mild disease. Those that, that reported having a low carbohydrate, high protein diet were more likely to have moderate to severe disease. And there's the interesting thing. Participants who followed a plant-based diet had 73% lower odds of moderate to severe COVID-19 compared with, com with uh, patients who did not. Interestingly, the association did not change when the BMI and the presence of medical condition was further adjusted for. In other words, if you ate a plant-based diet, you had a much better likelihood of having less severe COVID-19 just from eating a plant-based diet. Compared with those who followed plant-based diet, those who followed low-carbohydrate, high-protein diets, there are all sorts of diets around that people think they're good for you. They had a greater than three-fold higher odds of moderate to severe COVID-19, and it was a significant uh, study. I want to switch now to why we do what we do. Elder, rather, Ellen White was shown a vision in June of 1863. It was the vision on health reform. Do any of you know what the context for that vision was? They were sick. They had already been given all the doctrines in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It was a couple weeks after the general conference session, and she was in Otsego, and they went to this tent meeting, and she was given a vision. It says, Elders R.J. Lawrence and M.E. Cornell, don't know if that's those, those two chaps down there, but could be, were conducting tent meetings in Otsego, and a company of believers showed their interest in the effort by driving up there from Battle Creek, a distance of about 30 miles, to pass the weekend. Among these were Elder James White and his wife, worn with overwork and perplexity and in feeble health, Elder White was much depressed in spirit. Under these circumstances, this vision was given. She says, it was as though heaven had been waiting for the arrival of this propitious time for a united advance in temperance and godliness. The Spirit of God now spoke to the church through the prophetic gift by which it had received counsel and guidance all along the way. It was at the house of Brother A. Hilliard at Otsego, Michigan, June 6, 1863, that this great subject of health reform was open before me in vision. As you know, the bulk of that vision was laying off flesh meats. Now, this Dr. Jackson had also come to the conclusion that flesh meats were the cause of many diseases. And people had accused Ellen White of 
reading Dr. Jackson's material and then saying this was a vision. But Dr. Jackson and her both corroborated that no, this had come to her independently. It was only when she researched it that then she looked at, at uh, Dr. Jackson's material. This is very important, this part here. As mere physiologic and hygienic truths, they may be studied by some at their leisure and by others laid aside, that's the health reform message, as of little consequence. But when placed on a level with the great truths of the third angel's message by the sanction and authority of God's spirit and so declared to be the means whereby a weak people may be made strong to overcome. Do you see the significance? They were a weak people, and now they need the health message to make them strong so they could overcome, and our diseased bodies cleansed and fitted for translation. Then it comes to us as an essential part of present truth to be received with the blessing of God or rejected at our peril. I don't know if any of you know the health of our Adventist pioneers. I'm going to give you three. We'll first begin with Jan Loughborough. Many of you know Jan Loughborough. The childhood and youth of Elder Jan Loughborough, who died at the ripe age of 92, may be cited as typical of his contemporaries. But at the age of eight, it says, he peered one day through the thick blankets that curtained and covered the tall post of the bed on which his father lay dying of typhoid fever. The sufferer had been faithfully and lovingly dosed with drugs and then had been forbidden by his attending physician the comfort of a drink of cold water or even a refreshing breath of pure air. In those days, no water, no pure air. Put yourself in a room, take some drugs. That was what it was. And Jane Loughborough watched his father go through this. After his father's death, the orphan boy was reared in the family of his grandfather, who lived on a farm. Every fall, four large, fat hogs and one beef were slaughtered as winter provisions for the family. Nearly all parts of the hogs were eaten except the bristles and the hooves. I don't know where the bristles are, but I know where the hooves are. Of his diet at that time, he related, I was a great lover of animal flesh as food. I wanted fat pork, fried for breakfast, boiled meat for dinner, cold slices of ham or beef for supper. One of my sweetest morsels was bread well-soaked in pork gravy. That's Jay in Loughborough. Yeah, and this is when he was an Adventist. If in, the spring, if in the spring of the year we felt languor, really the result of consuming so much fat and flesh meats during the winter, we resorted to sharp pickles, horseradish, mustard, pepper, and the like to sharpen the appetite and tone up the system we naturally expected a poor spell in the spring before we could get any newly grown vegetables. They were in poor health. Jane Andrews, 
In later years, as the health reform movement made progress among Seventh-day Adventists, a number of the ministers bore testimony to the benefits they had received through adopting its principles. In so doing, they naturally looked back to the hole of the pit whence they had been digged, and they could clearly see that their former weakness and suffering were due to their lack of knowledge of the laws of life. Among those who bore such testimony was Elder J.N. Andrews, first missionary overseas. In 1863, at the age of 34, Elder Andrews found himself in very poor health with a congested brain, nervous dyspepsia, catarrh, salt room, and suffering from periods of utter prostration. He was 34. My general, general strength, he wrote, was easily exhausted. I found it difficult to perform the labor which, developed, uh, which devolved upon me as a preacher. 34. I had no degree of hope that I should ever again possess a sufficient measure of health to make life in itself anything desirable. I was not instructed in the principles of hygiene, for my father and mother had neither of them any just knowledge of these. I was kept from the use of tobacco and from even tasting strong drink, but I learned almost nothing of the evils of unwholesome food, at least of such as was common in my own family. I did not know that late suppers and hearty ones at that were serious evils. I had no idea of any special transgression in eating between meals. I supposed old cheese was good to aid digestion. As to mince pie and sausage, I had no thought that these were unwholesome, unless too highly seasoned, or as it was termed, made too rich. Hot biscuit and butter, donuts, pork in every form, pickles, preserves, tea, coffee, were all part of common use. To such ignorance of good dietetic principles, Elder Andrews added the confession that in common with most people of this time, he did not see the relation between the transgression of the laws of health and the resulting physical ailments. I had little, idea, little other idea of headache, dyspepsia, nausea, fevers, etc., than that these were things but that, for the, that for the most part were wholly out of our control and that like the various phenomena of nature, they were ordered by God's hand and man had generally no agency therein. Hopelessness. How about Ellen White? When the message of health reform first came to me, I was weak and feeble, subject to frequent fainting spells. I was pleading with God for help, and he opened before me the great subject of health reform. He instructed me that those who are keeping his commandments must be brought into sacred relation to himself and that by temperance in eating and drinking, they must keep mind and body most favorable, in most favorable condition for a service. So the reason she was given that dream is so that we can have our mind and body in most favorable condition for service. And she continues that she stood fast to that health message. Now, why does this matter? What difference does it make to have our minds and our bodies fit. She says, those who claim to believe the truth are to guard carefully the powers of the body and mind. 
so that God and his cause will not be in any way dishonored by their words or actions. The habits and practices are to be brought into subjection to the will of God. We are to give careful attention to our diet. Interestingly, and it just sort of dovetails with a couple of the presentations that we heard this morning, many times we focus on how long you will live above people eating meat. But that is not the aim for us as Seventh-day Adventist Christians living in these last days. Our aim is to be able to be vessels through whom God can speak and disperse the message of salvation to others. Again and again, I've been shown that God is trying to lead us back step by step to his original design that man should subsist upon the natural products of the earth. Vegetables, fruits, and grain should compose our diet. Not an ounce of flesh meat should enter our stomachs. And then she ties this to the third angel's message and gives some warnings. The health reform I was shown is a part of the third angel's message. We as a people like to talk about giving the third angel's message, three angel's messages, as our duty in these last days. If we ourselves are not practicing health reform, no one will listen to us on those messages because we don't look as though we have anything convincing to share and is just as closely connected with it as are the arm and hand of the human body. I saw that we as a people must make an advanced move in this great work. Ministers and people must act in concert. She says this, God's people are not prepared for the loud cry of the third angel. And why does she say this? It's in the context of not fully accepting the health message. And some argue that, well, she didn't talk about being a plant-based vegan vegetarian. You know, there is, she did mention that there will come a time when we lay aside all animal products, including cheese and whatnot. I'm not saying that time is now, but I'm just saying it just could be. They have a work to do for themselves, which they should not leave for God to do for them. He has left this work for them to do. It is an individual work. One cannot do it for another. The health reform is closely connected with the work of the third angel's message. Yet it is not the message. Our preachers should teach the health reform. Yet they should not make this the leading theme. We are to be exhibit A as we present the three angels' messages. And we need to be credible messengers in our appearance. Then we could tell people about the health message and they will believe us as we present Jesus Christ and him crucified to them as we talk to them about the three angels' messages. Its place, that is the health reform, among those subjects which set forth the preparatory work to meet the events brought to view by the message. Among these, it is prominent. Removing prejudice. Much of the prejudice that prevents the truth of the third angel's message from reaching the hearts of people might be removed if more attention were given to health reform. 
When people become interested in this subject, that's health reform, the way is often prepared for the entrance of other truths. One of the reasons that we chose to do the cooking class, and I chose to do that way, is that I thought, you know, I'm going to bring people into our home and present to them something palatable. We'll be friendly to them. We will befriend them. And we chat with them. And then it's palatable to them whatever else we may have to share. It's interesting. At the first session that we had, one of the people that were leaving, Gail, said to me, you know, I can tell that you guys really care about us. That's the first step in being able to witness to somebody that they can tell that you care about them. The food was beautiful to behold. It tasted delicious, even though there was some chaos. I didn't really care about that too much at the time. I still don't. But it's very important that, the, that health reform be presented beautifully so that people will then be open to listen to the message for these times. This, this branch of the Lord's work has not received due attention. And through this neglect, much has been lost. If the church would manifest a greater interest in the reforms through which God himself is seeking to fit them for his coming, their influence would be far greater than it, it, than it now is. I'm going to skip over to house-to-house -house work because I believe this is where we are going to be headed in the difficult times ahead as we see a lot of restrictions being placed on or schools or houses of worship, things of this sort. House-to-house -house work is going to be very important. You don't only have to do plant-based cooking schools. You can do anything that the Lord puts in your hand to do. That could be natural remedies. I don't know enough about natural remedies, although I have a lot of running injuries and I do do a lot of icing. So some sort of natural remedy. But something in your home, come close to the people. She says, greater efforts should be put forth to educate the people in the principles of health reform. Cooking schools should be established and house-to-house -house instruction should be given in the art of cooking wholesome food. Old and young people should learn how to cook more simply. Whenever, wherever the truth is presented, the people are to be taught how to prepare food in simple yet appetizing way. They are to be shown that a nourishing diet can provide what a nourishing diet can provide without the use of flesh foods. My brethren and sisters, visit those who live near you and by sympathy and kindness, seek to reach their hearts. Be sure to work in a way that will remove prejudice instead of creating it. And remember that those who know the truth for this time and yet confine their efforts to their own churches refusing to work for their unconverted neighbors will be called to account for unfulfilled duties. That's grave. There are many who, because of prejudice, will never know the truth unless it is brought to their homes. The canvasser may find these truths and minister to them. There is a line of work in house-to-house -house labor which he can accomplish more successfully than others. He can become acquainted with the people and understand their true necessities. He can pray with them and can point them to the Lamb of God, 
that taketh away the sin of the world. Thus the way will be opened for the special message for this time to find access to the hearts. And I believe this is why we do plant-based lifestyle. We have something that we can offer to the neighbors. People are always interested in diet or some remedy. If you can convince people to eat healthy, more healthily, to use natural remedies, and convince them that by doing this, they will save some money, that their paycheck will not go further, uh, that their month will not go further than their paycheck, they will listen to you on other things, things of salvific importance. Of equal importance with special public efforts is house-to-house -house work in the homes of people. In large cities, there are certain classes that cannot be reached by public meetings. These must be searched out as the shepherd searches for his lost sheep. Diligent personal effort must be put forth in their behalf. When personal work is neglected, many precious opportunities are lost, which, were they improved, would advance the work decidedly. And she says this, the Lord has presented before me the work that is to be done in our cities. The believers in these cities are to work for God in the neighborhood of their homes. They are to, to labor quietly and in humility, carrying with them wherever they go the atmosphere of heaven. And my last two slides. There is need of coming close to the people by personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing and more time spent in personal ministry, greater results will be seen. And then one that we're all familiar with. Jesus saw in every soul one to whom must be given the call to his kingdom. He reached the hearts of the people by going among them as one who desired their good. He sought them in the public streets in private houses, on boats, in the synagogue, by the shores of the lake, and at the marriage feast, and manifested an interest in their secular affairs. He carried his instruction into the household, bringing families in their own homes under the influence of his divine presence. His strong personal sympathy helped to win hearts. And so when we think of doing work in our homes, it's not just, oh, come and get a better diet. It's, I want to introduce you to Jesus Christ and him crucified. We need to be living examples of what that looks like, kindness, etc. But also we need to look healthy, healthy vessels transmitting a message from heaven to them. Thank you very much for your attention. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.